Hi everyone, welcome back to the Quantum Heart Cafe. I hope everyone has had a, a wonderful, beautiful week and beautiful weekend. And I'm here tonight with another episode uh, about uh, I'm just going to be giving my thoughts on the first, the first uh, half, or maybe not the first half, but the first section of the book I'm reading, which is uh, Braiding Sweetgrass by uh, Robin Wall Kimmer. And before I do that, I just wanted to give thanks. Uh, I wanted to give thanks today. I was able to went out for a nice walk uh, outside and helped to pick up some garbage. Uh, what I've been really learning about, actually, Mike Thanks is to a, a YouTube channel that I've been following. Uh, his name is Enoch777. If you haven't heard of it before, I highly recommend checking out his channel. And he shared something which actually kind of ties in with the theme of tonight's book, and that is uh, when you throw garbage on the ground, uh, littering, and how our Mother Earth is a conscious being, like she's alive. And so when we throw garbage on the ground, you know, even if it isn't ours, but like when we do it personally, uh, it's like it's a it's a disrespect to her and to consciousness. And, uh, I mean, that's why, that's probably why for myself personally, if I, if I do litter, I feel really bad about it because, you know, I just drop something on a living being. Even if I, like, I don't really do it, uh, on public unless I have like a real need to do it, but spitting, I don't spit out, um, in public. I don't spit on the ground, I just, I just find that to me, I mean, everyone has their own opinion, but for me, spitting on the ground is, I just see it as kind of disrespectful, but hey, sometimes if you have, maybe there's a medical reason why some people do it, uh, I just try not to, it, it, I just see it as the same thing as uh, throwing garbage on the ground, and so what I started to do this last week was just to go around and uh, just to, on my block in my neighborhood, just taking a garbage bag and a pair of tongs and just kind of learning to be a good, a good steward to the land I'm on, which is kind of, I think, at the heart of Robin Wall Kimmer's book, The Braiding Sweetgrass, and learning to have right relations with the land again. And, you know, just to kind of go segue into her book, one of the main themes about um, Robin's book is how uh, in the Western, the, the Western worldview, our language, how we view, uh, even going back to creation stories, the Western kind of creation stories, the most notable one is like the Garden of Eden and how Eve uh, and Adam were cast out of the garden because Eve ate the apple. I think it was the apple, the fruit of knowledge or something. <laughs> I'm not... I don't know that story too well, but I do know that she was cast out. And, you know, she was pushed out of the... Her and Adam were pushed out of the Garden of Eden, so she was... That, that relationship between uh, Mother Earth consciousness and hum, human beings was, in the Christian worldview, was, you know, severed, and then we had sin. And, you know, those creation stories, like this, what I'm really learning from... Robin's book, as well as other books, is that the stories 
and the myths that we inherit and that we learn and are surrounded by even the movies that we watch and the you know for me the books that I read they do inform our worldview like they do have a power to inform our perception like storytelling is powerful that's why when you see uh, a lot of storytelling in kind of mass society it's usually told through uh, mainstream media like the news I mean that's all narrative and movies of course like that's all narrative and there's usually a, a specific you know reason why they you know talk about you know or they have certain stories and certain uh, themes and usually that's to support uh, a cultural worldview you know and a, an agenda if you will and <clears throat> there's a lot of symbolism uh, especially like colors and music and so on so storytelling is powerful is visceral it goes i mean our ancestors told stories around the campfire and usually stories were to you know pass along ways to live and pass along worldview to the next or worldviews to the next generations coming up and that's what i mean that's what western stories that we inherit like especially through religion that's what they kind of teach us is through these religious stories as to how to live or not to live I mean that depends on again that just kind of depends on whether you are uh, invested in those stories or not but uh, what I found interesting too was that the uh, creation story that the indigenous people have a sky woman is very different from the creation story of Eve. And I think those creation stories have helped to shape the worldview of indigenous people and then the story of creation from the large religious institutions. But today I'm just going to focus on the story of Eve because that's what, uh, so far, that's the story that Robin Wall Kimmer has um, kind of focused on in the beginning of her book was the exile of Eve and how these two women's uh, creation stories really do have an effect on our perception of the world and our perception of Mother Earth and seeing Mother Earth as a beautiful loving being conscious being that uh, provides for her children and in return her children provide for her or as something uh, just a resource <clears throat> a dead piece of inert of an inner, inert material, just an object, something to be exploited, something to not to trust, something that's being seen as a a betrayal, maybe like with the creation of Eve or the the creation story revolving Eve, and that you know Eve participated in the fruit of Eden and ate from the fruit of the tree, and she was kicked out. Whereas you know uh, creation stories, it's Often the tr and the trees and the the berries and the nuts have a reciprocal relationship with human beings and other animal beings and to form a, a community together, a spiritual a community that involves both the physical and the spiritual and seeing the spiritual in all beings. And there were, I mean, before the major religions really kind of took over in Europe, uh, a lot of the pagan uh, or so-called pagan spirituality, like the Celtic spirituality, which is what I've been learning a bit more about because 
my heritage is Irish, um, you know, that was also, they were also largely a very, very nature based, uh, spiritual tradition where they saw all living beings or all trees and all, um, all beings as, as alive, the rocks, the trees, uh, the, the birds, the, the bees and so on. So there is, I mean, the early pagan spirituality, um, there was that reverence for spiritual or that reverence for nature. There was the connection to human beings had a connection with uh, Mother Earth and had connection with uh, spiritual or spiritual connections with all living beings. And often they were seen as, as nature spirits, as demigods and so on. So, uh, and that was very different from the monotheistic religion that we see kind of creeping over, especially, I mean, in, in Ireland, Catholicism, and then later, and, and then also Protestant religion, which is, I, mean, I don't know too much about Protestant religion. I know a bit more about Catholicism because I grew up and going to a Catholic school, so I have a little bit, uh, I remember a little bit of it. Uh, so... You know, that's just, it's, it's a very, two different worldviews, and, and so it's just a, maybe it's a matter of trying to reconcile those worldviews, at least that's what I'm getting at the first part of Robin Wall Kimmer's book. That may change uh, as the as the book progresses, but so far, uh, Robin Wall Kimmer, through these beautiful stories from her childhood and stories that she has had uh, passed down to her, um, as well as adult stories of her, um, you know, learning to, of, uh, being a mother and, and tending. There was one story where, um, she bought this beautiful house with her, uh, for her children and, uh, she started stewarding or attending to a pond nearby, uh, because she wanted to, uh, create a, a pond that was swimmable and clean for her uh, daughters to enjoy so she spent a lot of time uh, with the pond and trying to uh, scrape the algae out of the pond and um, through the relationship the pond taught her a number of lessons and the two beings uh, had a synchronistic relationship and uh, one of the lessons that Robin Wall Kimmer passes along in her book that she had learned was that um, you know, cause she wanted to be in that story. She wanted to be a, a good mother and, uh, for her, her children, that was something that was very dear to her. And, uh, I mean, it still is, she's, <laughs> but, um, and she realized that, she, you know, being a mother is bigger, can be bigger than that, right? Like, of course there's our physical or, you know, biological children, uh, but being a, a mother in, encompasses more than just, can encompass more than that, right? Especially as children grow up and then uh, mothers become grandmothers so that the role continues. And then, um, you know, mothers become a uh, mother, not just their own biological children, but the, their communities, their, um, you know, gardens, uh, you know, helping to clean up um, ponds and rivers and helping to steward the land and tending to the land as, as if as a mother as you know, as a mother would uh, look after and tend to her children and I thought that was really beautiful I thought that was um, that's what I've really enjoyed reading um, 
or about or that's what I really enjoyed about Robin's book is just reading uh, the stories and through stories picking up lessons and wisdom that I can use in my own life. Um, I'm just going to take a little sip of my coffee. I have some decaf coffee tonight. It's the it's the same coffee I got from uh, Whole Foods a little while ago. It's the bulk decaf. It's not bad. It's quite nice. I I quite enjoy it. Again though, I I do. Um, you know, I'm starting back up work now because uh, I'm done with school for a little while. So once I have a proper paycheck, then I'll be able to go and uh, start exploring independent coffee again. Sometimes the independent coffee shops can be uh, it's a little more expensive, but they're good. Co- it's good, really good coffee. So I just want to make sure that you know I'm not uh, you know spending more than beyond my means sort of thing. So sometimes I have to save and get the store brand coffee but hey this decaf isn't bad uh but that's been it's been a real joy that's been a real joy of um this reading her uh robin wall's book because there's just so much uh and not only she's she's a wonderful writer too and so not only are her stories uh uh very wonderful wonderfully uh written they're just uh, a joy to read, and so I really appreciate that. And then, so before I go on, I just wanted to uh, talk about and share the creation story, uh, because then if you, especially if you are familiar with the creation story of Eve, you can kind of hear the the contrast between um, the creation story, which, which informs indigenous worldview, and the creation story, which really informs uh, Christian worldview. And I'm not too familiar just yet with the Celtic tr- uh, creation stories, uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to learning more about those because maybe those creation stories are a little more closer to uh, indigenous uh, worldviews on Turtle Island. So, <clears throat> uh, so without further ado, I'm just going to read uh, the first little bit of uh, the creation story of, of Sky Woman, and. Um, just to kind of provide a context for the differences and and what we can learn from each other. Because I'm learning quite a bit reading uh, Robin Wall Kimmer's book and just learning where my own Western perception or, or the limits of my own Western worldview and what I can learn from indigenous worldview. And uh, anyway, I'll... I kind of I'll touch on those uh, world different worldviews in a moment. I'm just gonna get to the story. Let's see. Okay, so the story is Sky Woman falling. She fell like a maple seed, perroding in a on an autumn breeze. A column of light streamed from a hole in the sky world, marking her path where only darkness had been before. It took her a long time to fall. In fear, or maybe hope, she clutched a bundle tightly in her hand. Hurtling downward, she saw only dark water below. But in that emptiness, there were many eyes gazing up at the sudden shaft of light. Of light. They saw there a small object, a mere dust moot in the beam. As it grew closer, they could see that it was a woman arms outstretched, 
long black hair bellowing behind as she, as she spiraled towards them. The geese nodded at one another and rose together from the water in a wave of goose music. She felt the beat of their wings as they flew beneath the breaker fall. Far from the only home she'd ever known, she caught her breath at the warm embrace of soft feathers as they gently carried her downward. And so it began. The geese could not hold the woman above the water for much longer, so they called counsel to decide what to do. Resting on their wings, she saw them all gather. Loons, otters, swans, beavers, fish of all kinds. A great turtle floated on their midst and offered his back for her to rest upon. Gratefully, she stepped from the goose wings onto the dome of his shell. The others understood that she needed land for her home and had discussed how they might serve her need. The deep divers among them had heard of mud at the bottom of the water and agreed to go find some. Loon, do Loon dove first, but the distance was too far and after a long while he surfaced with nothing to show for his efforts. One by one, the other animals offered to help. Otter, beaver, sturgeon. But the depth, the darkness, and the pressures were too great for even the strongest of all swimmers. They returned grasping for air with their hands ringing. Some did not return at all. Soon, only a little muskrat was left. The weakest diver of all. He volunteered to go whilst the others looked on doubtfully. His small legs flailed as he worked his way downward, and he was gone for a very long time. They waited and waited for him to return, fearing the worst for the relative, and before long, a stream of bubbles rose with the small, lump body of the muskrat. He had given his life to aid this helpless human, but then the others noticed that his paw was tightly clutched, and when they opened it, there was a small handful of mud. Turtle said, here, put it on my back, and I will hold it. Sky Woman bent and spread the mud with her hands across the shell of the turtle. Moved by the extraordinary gifts of the animals, she, st she sang in thanksgiving, and then began to dance, her feet caressing the earth. The, the land grew and grew as she danced her thanks, from the dab of mud on Turtle Island's back until the whole earth was made. Not by Sky Woman alone, but from the alchemy of all the animals' gifts coupled with her deep gratitude. Together they formed what we know today as Turtle Island, our home. Like any good guest, Sky Woman did not come empty-handed. She bundled what the bundle was still clutched in her hand. When she toppled from the hole to the sky world, or the hole in the sky world, she, she had reached out to grab onto the tree of life that grew there. In her grasp were branches, fruits and seeds of all kinds of plants. These she scattered onto the new ground and carefully tended each one until the world turned from brown to green. Sunlight streamed through the hole from the sky world, allowing the seeds to flourish. Wild grasses, flowers, trees, and medicines spread everywhere. And now that the animals, too, had plenty to eat, Many came to live with her on Turtle Island. 
so that's the story of, or that's the creation myth uh, that Robin Wall Cameron shared of Sky Woman. And that I can see for myself at the big contrast between, you know, their story of creation and the contrast with the story of creation uh, in Christianity with Eve. You know, Eve being cast out from her land and, and feeling abandoned. And that kind of, I think that because what ha I think that story has the creation of, or the creation myth involving Eve has a, I think it has a lot of, uh, to do with the root of trauma that a lot of European ancestors experienced experienced during the Ice Age when a lot, uh, our ancestors were going through the Ice Age we uh, a lot of us had were starving um, a lot of us were you know you had the that that whole notion of the survival of the fittest kind of that's where that mentality came from because yeah that within that uh, group and the just around the Eurasian steeps, like you had people, um, you know, European, or, or at least my European ancestors struggling to live, but then also they, you know, weren't learning the lessons of cooperation with each other. They were trying to get as much as they could for themselves so that they could survive. And that did involve uh, learning about hierarchy and abuse. And so it kind of makes sense that um, kind of growing out of that pain, we have you know the this worldview, this um, where you know the you know we were cast out of the garden, so to speak, and see that as a betrayal from the earth. And so, I mean, ever since then, our relations have been pretty strained. And there's, I mean, there's a bit more to European heritage as well. Uh, than just what happened in the Eurasian steeps, but just that's just what I've been kind of learning as I learn more about history. And for me, I think it's important to study this history because then, you know, uh, spiritually speaking, I can learn how to heal my own ancestral line and learn to be a good relative again. You know, learn to have connection with the land and connection with all beings and 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 again with the you know as i've mentioned in other shows and other podcasts with the uh you know that these technocrats the you know this technologic world that the industrial ruling class wants to manifest you know they won't they don't want us to have a connection with uh, the our mother earth they want us to have connections with robots <laughs> or to have connection with each other, but through a digital metaverse, not uh, physically, you know, like the, that's the whole point of the, you know, the six feet separation and, you know, having everyone staying home and stuff like that. It really isn't for our health because really like being isolated from each other isn't good for us because we're social uh, beings. But again, like, That whole wanting us to that whole notion of connection 
is is so important and, and they they want to change or they want to kind of hijack that connection and only where we only connect with each other through digital means and i don't know if you've read the articles you know the whole yeah by 2030 you'll own nothing and and that sort of thing there's a few of them out there there's one on the world economic forum and i think it was either forbes or or the um one of the big financial magazines had a similar another similar article touching on the same you know you will own nothing by 2030 and if you ever read those articles it says that um you know people don't really go out into nature so to speak you know we don't really go camping or uh, have uh, a cabin in the woods or anything like that right like it's all experienced through augmented reality or virtual reality and human beings are seen as a, a nuisance and a menace to the earth when that's not true um, we're just as much a part of the earth as the earth is a part of us and she doesn't see us as a nuisance even those of us who are at those time lost and there is a really a beautiful quote in the book that um, hang on that I, I broke down and made a note of it because I think it's it kind of encompasses that quote sort of encompasses uh, I think the heart of I don't know about the heart of Robin Wall Kimmer's book but the heart of what I've been learning from her book and it's the the land knows you even when you were lost and I think in Western world thinking, you know, we're kind of lost because we only see the world as this, or through Western thinking, especially Western science has come to see the world as only this material thing. And like I talked about in the previous podcast where I went over, or I did, I gave my thoughts on the invisible rainbow, you know, one of the big mistakes that science made was divorcing spirituality from I say, when I say science I mean western science like the big mistake was when spirituality and material and materialism were separated when well, they're not meant to be separate they're meant to be together and science the sciences like back in ancient Kemet which is now called ancient Egypt and they saw science and spirituality as together they weren't opposites or opposing each other they were in harmony and they they came together and they that's how they created their body of knowledge which is very vast and incredibly deep and <clears throat> it's that and the same thing with indigenous worldview you know there's no separation from material from, or spiritual from material they're they're together um they work together in unison and harmony and that's often missing from especially from western science which only sees the material uh i guess maybe in, in quantum physics and so on you have um like a now I think they might start to be talking about consciousness and you know how yeah, at the quantum level the kind of rules of physics changes up a little bit. So they're starting to acknowledge it, but they still like the you know botany and biology. You know, just instead of just 
there's still that um, separation between spirit and you know physical matter, right? Like the only just seeing the heart as the heart, and that also as the spirit or of uh, the the seat of the soul, so to speak, um, or seeing plants as just inert matter you know maybe they fire a neuron or something every once in a while whereas indigenous worldview and was air quote alternative science uh, sees uh, plants as having their own way their own energy and plants having their own wisdom and gifts to teach us and which they do and plants have a lot of wisdom trees have a lot of wisdom in Celtic spirituality, trees are well respected and seen as spiritual beings, you know, like oaks and birch and so on. And that's what I really appreciate about Robin Wall's book is that she's not trying to, what she's trying to do is, because uh, Robin Wall Kimmer is a trained uh, biologist and then she's also indigenous. So she's, uh, or sorry, not trained, but trained botanist, sorry, I meant to say botanist. Um, so she's trained in botany, and then she has her own uh, indigenous culture and and stories and uh, practices, which she brings together. And so, with by bringing together a Western botany and her indigenous knowledge and and story, she's able to weave a beautiful story about um, reciprocity. And how we as human beings have a, a responsibility, like what as we become connected with the land again and become good relatives to the land again, and as we learn uh, not just the scientific names of plants, but you know, start asking, "Who are you? You know, oh, how long have you been here for? You know, what lessons do you have to pass to us?" And as we start to learn and to listen to them, uh, they start to impart knowledge and 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 wisdom and, and guidance to us and so there's been on turtle island before europeans came and colonized it there was this beautiful and it's still here by the way it's not gone and it's coming back which is good and uh, but it was understood that there was this beautiful relationship of reciprocity between human beings and all other beings on Turtle Island. So they weren't seen as uh, something to be opposed or something to be uh, distrust, um, distrusted or they weren't seen as the enemy or just as a resource to be exploited. Whereas in Europe, because we kind of, you know, we lost that connection to the land. I mean, there was a lot of violence in Europe. I mean, not just before during the ice age but even after that like you know there was the crusades and there was the medieval period and i mean if you ever read any books about the medieval times and dark times in europe you'll see like it was pretty brutal for people back then uh like you know especially if people were still holding on to um their nature spiritual practices you know paganism you know, the church really went for that stuff. And they didn't want people practicing anymore. They want people to, they're forcing people to, you know, it's our way or the highway kind of thing. And 
Um, but even then, that those traditions still live on. They survived, um, maybe small parts of them, but even with a small little germ, a little, little kernel that survived, it's starting to grow back. And there is a resurgence of Druidism and Celtic tradition, uh, as well as other um, uh, traditions indigenous to Europe. And, um, and even with that, it's still kind of complicated because there was a lot of, um, like the, you know, the Europeans that came out of the Eurasian steeps because, you know, there's so much trauma and stuff came, we came down and I kind of passed that and brought that violence as well. And so as we mixed and mingled with, to put it lightly, I mean, to, as we conquered and, and moved through Europe and, you know, uh, our gener that kind of changed the face of those nature spiritual teachings as well. And so, you know, it's complicated. You know, Europe is complicated, but it is that those nature spiritual teachings are still alive. And if you're European and you're listening to this, you can get back in touch with those and learn to be a good relative as well as and also get in touch with your ancestors. I remember uh, I was taking a, an indigenous intensive um, in what is currently called uh, Victoria in Vancouver Island, British Columbia. And it was about uh, practicing allyship. And one of the, the facilitator there, her name is Paula Neeks, and uh, she was saying that, you know, if you want to be a good ally to people, uh, to indigenous, sorry, to indigenous people, then, you know, we need to, you know, us Europeans, you, you know, learn to reconnect with their ancestry again. You know, reconnecting with Celtic spirituality or... Uh, and the other uh, spiritual traditions in Europe and learning to be a, just a good relative to the land again, being good stewards. And I think that uh, Braiding Sweet, Sweetgrass, um, so far, the book has been a wonderful way for me to learn, start really learning and taking those uh, lessons seriously. Not that I haven't already, but just there's a lot of really good... Um, you know, even just reading the creation story and contrasting that with the creation story of Eve really gave me personally some food for thought and some, you know, time to reflect on those stories and how they have shaped our worldview as Europeans and to, you know, and starting to challenge that. Um, another example is the how the English language... <clears throat> treats nature as an object rather than as a subject. Um, for example, we'll see a tree and call it an it. <laughs> you know, hey, that's an it. Um, but Robin Wall Kimmer was saying that, well, if you turn to your mother and call her an it, you know, that's very, it's incredibly disrespectful, right? So by calling our planet Earth or calling a tree, you know, rocks and so on, it's just it's. <laughs> then I kind of divorce. Then they're just seen as mere objects, and so it becomes easier to exploit them because you know, in that that perception, that worldview, they're just objects. There's no, they're not spiritual beings. They don't live just onto themselves. They're just these objects. You know, they don't. That's it. 
And so it becomes easy to cut it down. It becomes easy to destroy it. So, and even I said that it, right? It becomes easier to do that and to exploit the land and treat it with disrespect. And and so far, that that's probably the first bit of the book that I've read. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll be continuing to read uh, the rest of the book. I don't know if I'll be able to finish it next week, but I'll definitely be doing part two for next week. And then if there's a little bit more of the book left, and I'll, I'll do a part three. I will try to finish it for uh, next Sunday. But I mean, so far, the book has been a wonderful read and uh, lots of good storytelling you know, lots of laughters. There's some funny bits in the story and a lot of wisdom, uh, especially if, you know, you're like me, I want to learn how to be a good relative to the, on here on Turtle Island and be a good relative to the land because, you know, I think it's that indigenous worldview that will help us, you know, that it's helpful for navigating these times that we're in because personally, I'd rather you know have right relations with trees, rocks, and birds than with artificial intelligence and uh, robots. You know, like that's just not. I don't want to follow the road of transhumanism. I'd rather go the other way and learn to be a good relative on the land and to help to restore the land too. There's a lot of a lot of wounds. You know, a lot of sadness, um, especially with the colonial past. Uh, a lot of pain and a lot of um, a lot of wounds that I think it's time to you know start doing that shadow work and start uh, healing those right it's good, not going to happen overnight but I think you know reading braiding sweetgrass is a, at least for me is a step in the right direction um, so I hope all of you have enjoyed tonight's podcast it's not maybe it's not as long but uh, I hope that you know, this will encourage you to read Braiding Sweetgrass. It's a wonderful book. And like I said, Robin Wall Kimmer has done a, a fantastic job with um, writing, uh, her writing and her the stories that she tells. It's just, um, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful read. It, I'm, I'm enjoying reading this, reading her book very much. And so I hope all of you have a wonderful week and we'll talk to you all next week. And thanks for stopping by the cafe. Take care. Bye.